0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Ford government has a new plan for vacant schools. Hamilton has the worst pediatric wait times in the province. The CBC hits pause on Twitter. There's a call to extend the tax filing deadline. Have you ever been fired from a job? And the hunt for the Allen Cup begins. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Everyone is saying my kid is falling behind and I need the system
2: to be more focused on a student achievement. So this bill does that. It forces upon school boards to emphasize reading, writing, and math as the central focus in improving outcomes.
0: That is Ontario Education Minister Stephen Lecce appearing yesterday on Hamilton Today on 900 CHML under the Ford government's... New education bill, as you heard in the poll question, underused or unused schools in this province could be sold or converted into housing. It's all under the Better Schools and Student Outcomes Act. Uh, Don Danko is the chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Ms. Danko. How are you today?
3: Good morning, Rick. I am well, staying warm. (laughs) I hope you are, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's tough to do so, I'll tell you. Let's start in the classroom here. Minister Lecce says his goal is to improve education standards and strengthen back-to-basics learning and and reading, writing, and math. How much heavy lifting needs to happen to achieve this in Hamilton?
3: Well, it's really interesting. Um, I think the minister is finally responding to what boards have been saying for the past two years, that we've seen progression in students learning and achievement uh due to the pandemic due to the the disruptions in learning that we saw in Ontario and so you know we do welcome um you know a renewed focus on on getting back to basics focusing on math skills um core literacy skills and purposeful supports for that but what's unfortunate is you know the announcement seems to just be repackaging Money that's already been spent uh, previously. This isn't necessarily new money. It's just a new way of talking about money that we've already had in our system. And, and the one thing that concerns me is uh, along with this announcement, he did talk about, um, the, the grant for student needs, which is where most of our funding comes from. And when that doesn't keep up with inflation, as this is not, we're only looking at a 2.7% increase. That's actually a cut to education. So appreciate the, the renewed focus. Um, but, We're already doing this work, and we have been for years.
0: This bill will also give the government the ability to repurpose unused schools to build affordable housing. That's at least one option. What local public school board properties could be in the crosshairs?
3: Well, that's an interesting interpretation of... um what the minister is is putting out in terms of this new legislation. Um, my understanding is that the ministry is looking to to look at boards that are holding on to properties. We do not typically do that in Hamilton, where we have a property that may be empty and and not for sale. There's very few of them. Sir Isaac Brock would be one example. That's where we've identified a future use for that school based on, you know, growth projections for the community. And so I I think this is more looking at boards that are holding on to a lot of properties, but the legislation, the way I read it, um, doesn't really deviate very far from what we're already doing. We already um, have the ability to put our, our properties up for sale. It goes to preferred partners first, which includes co-terminus boards. And then it sounds like it'll, there, there will be a shift in who else would be a preferred partner that could have an opportunity to purchase early, and that could include the ministry. They mentioned uh, you know use for long-term care and whatnot. I don't think that will have a major impact here in Hamilton.
0: I'm trying to jog my memory on the, the the Sir John A. Macdonald High School property. Would that potentially be impacted?
3: Uh, that is a property that we do have a, a future use identified. We we do have a plan for it. One of the other frustrating things with these announcements is you talked about thinking outside the box and looking at multi-use of a school building or space and building community hubs in creative ways. And what's really frustrating to me about that is the Sir John A. Macdonald site We had a proposal for a a true community hub where we would have partners like the YMCA, the City of Hamilton, all on the same site. And this government has not approved that time and time again. Um, So I'm hopeful that would not impact that site because we do have a plan for the site and and it will be very important for future use for our board.
0: Do you think there could be a danger that the province says, hey, you're not doing anything with that. Uh, We'll just take it and sell it.
3: I think that's that's the fear right now. Um, it's always a bit concerning when there's legislation that's introduced that uh, gives powers to one person centrally, the minister in this case. Um, we're, we're going to make sure that we're part of the consultation and that we have input. They, they have promised to do that on, on all of these pieces. Um, but... You know, as long as that, that power is used responsibly and that there is still respect for local context and local need for decision making, I think we we can move forward with this in a positive way.
0: Don Danko is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML. Don is the chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Uh, let's shift gears and talk about the local public school board's review of the school naming policy. And it sounds like we're going to see the end of naming schools after people. Where do you stand on this?
3: Well, we do have that policy change coming to our, our next board meeting on the 27th, um, so it hasn't been decided yet, but <clears throat> the recommendations for this change in policy, they have um, been coming due, like, in response to a, a number of concerns in the community. Um, you know, we've gone through some, some periods where in Hamilton, we've had to really examine You know, the need for a statue and the harm that might cause to different communities. So this renaming policy has been very well thought out. We have worked along with Indigenous teams and communities to make sure that we're, we're really thinking about this from an anti-colonial lens. And so, you know, we have names that are excellent names in our, in our, uh, community. We've got Vila Desmond. We've got Bernie Custis. Uh, just, just to name a few, Shannon Sustassion is another example. But when we name after people, it tends to be a far more polarizing process than when we name after the place where a school might be, for example. Um, I can recall Nora Francis Henderson, that was before my time as a trustee, a very, very heated debate. And that's because you're basically trying to um, place competing values on what different people have contributed to a community and, and you know which you feel is the most important. I would say that the other challenge that we have when we're naming after a person, typically, um, you know, we have to ask a family permission to put their name forward. And so it can be really challenging for a family um, to make that decision. You know, am I okay with my loved one's name possibly being a name of the school? And then if it's not selected, that also um, can be really, really challenging for families. And so I think we're, we're really considering the feedback that we've heard The vast majority of people who participated in the consultation agree with this. Um, So I will see it at board. I don't want to comment on, on my position because we really need to save that debate for our board meeting.
0: Well, good luck with that debate. I'm sure it'll be a heated one when it comes about. Ms. Danko, appreciate the time today. Thank you, Rick. That is Don Danko, chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Um, two hot-button topics. Number one, Ford government potentially buying and selling unused or underused schools, and uh, the, the the naming of schools after prominent people. You know, you look at Viola Desmond. You look at, she mentioned, Bernie Custis as well, two titans of their particular fields. And uh, whether it's human rights, well, actually, but, uh, actually both human rights and discrimination. Uh, Bernie also did it on the football field as well and, and, a, and a great athlete and a great educator. You know, uh, not necessarily named after a school, but Russ Jackson has a football field named after him on the mountain. And, you know, great tribute to that individual. And there's, you know, the, the sad part about it is, There are, you know, so many deserving individuals to have things named after them, whether it's a school or a bridge or whatever the case is, a park. Um, And, you know, history sometimes is not kind to those people for the actions or the words that they have sent. Uh, It's a very interesting debate, that is for sure. Layoffs in six minutes time. We're going to talk about layoffs, people getting fired, and some of the horrible ways that some employees nowadays are getting the old heave-ho. You'll find out about it here on Good Morning Hamilton.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: This certainly made headlines the other day when the president of McMaster Children's Hospital said, uh, you know what, we have the longest wait time for pediatric surgeries in the province, and that's not a good thing. Bruce Squires is the president of MacKids Hospital and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Bruce, good morning. How are you?
4: Uh, good morning, Rick. I'm I'm good. Thanks. I hope you're doing well as well.
0: I'm doing fine. What is uh, the scenario right now in Mac Kids Hospital when it comes to pediatric surgery wait times?
4: Well, the 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 scenario is is uh, is certainly unfortunate for uh, for for the children, and youth, and the families who are uh, who are uh, waiting for surgery. We have. Nearly 2,100 children and and youth that are on a wait list, identified as needing a surgery, um, that number itself is 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 really concerning. But the 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 place I think that's uh, uh, most troubling to to me and to particularly to our to our teams is that 65 percent of those, more than 1,400 kids, have already passed. The recommended wait time for them to receive that surgery, and that's where we're um, we're in a, a a worse position than than any other place in the province. And uh, I'll also highlight that uh, that that that's a much higher number than it is for adults. So so children and youth are are more likely to have already. Uh, past the recommended time for their surgical procedure, than uh, than an adult counterpart.
0: So when that happens, what is the impact? And they are they automatically pushed to the front of the line?
4: Well, we certainly do our best to uh, to to get to uh, to to those kids as quickly as possible. Always. Uh, weighing the 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 individual implications and the 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 urgency for the individual case, but you know what does it mean? I mean, in the short term, anytime time uh, a child or youth is is waiting for uh, for a surgical procedure, uh, their life is affected. It might be that they're dealing with pain. Uh, that pain may mean that they uh, they are not able to or they struggle to attend school they might not be able to participate the way they would like in surgical activity or sorry in sports or in other uh, other uh, you know social uh, activities really the, the the things that are all about being a kid um, it's certainly for their parents in the moment. It's also extremely concerning and a- anxiety provoking. So that's in the kind of the immediate. The long-term implications, of course, when um, when a, uh, a recommended uh, surgery is uh, is delayed for a child that can have impact on their future development often these things are really targeted around a developmental wi- window that could be a physical developmental w- window it could be uh, emotional um and you know when uh when when we miss those in some cases that means that uh it will impact uh, the future of that child and that's that's what i think in many ways, the most concerning uh, thing about children and youth waiting for surgery.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Bruce Squires, president of McMaster Children's Hospital, saying that uh, pediatric surgery wait time at MacKids is the longest in Ontario. 1,400 of these patients have already passed the recommended wait time to have their surgery done. How long is this wait? Give us a sense of how long these patients are waiting. Is it weeks? Is it months? Well,
4: it, it, it varies by child but certainly for, for many of those uh, those kids that can be uh, can be many many months um, uh, that they are they're having to uh, to wait for that surgery um, well beyond again what would be uh, be recommended you know Rick if I could I do I do want to highlight that I'm I'm uh, uh, although extremely concerned about this situation I I have some some hope um, first of all, the recent budget, the, uh, the government did announce that they would be dedicating additional funding to ensuring really the right sizing of the, ch- the children's health system. And so we're, we're working closely with, uh, with, with government. Um, on on a number of specific measures and really hoping that we're going to see those funded Im- and implemented in short order, which will help us to get at this wait list. I'll also highlight that that uh, just this week we opened a, a brand day. Brand new uh, same day overnight unit, which is going to allow us to uh, to to provide surgery to kids who traditionally might have needed an inpatient bed at the hospital and therefore sometimes might have found their surgery canceled because we're so pressured for inpatient beds. But now they'll stay in a brand new unit uh a unit where they'll just stay overnight and be able to be discharged home in the morning so you know i'm i'm hopeful that uh very hopeful that uh we're going to see some uh some some progress in uh in in the near future to help to get these these children and youth uh, receiving their surgery and other care at the right time in the right place uh, in the best interests of uh, of, of their current uh, life and their future.
0: In, in saying that, we only got about 30 seconds. Are there any cases of these patients going elsewhere to get their surgeries being done?
4: Yeah, um, certainly that does that does happen. We we try to do that, in, um where uh, where it's helpful uh, again to ensure uh, a really urgent, uh, time sensitive, perhaps life threatening cir- surgery is available, where we we'll, uh, patients and families may go to a uh, another institution, and sometimes they'll come here from another area for a similar reg- uh, reason. So that that uh, that can happen. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the entire province is uh, is. Pressured from the perspective of the child and youth health system. And so we need to right size
0: really provincially. Bruce, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Rick. Have a great day. That is Bruce Squires, president of McMaster Children's Hospital. You're
1: listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: You've been following this CBC Twitter story. Well, here's the latest. CBC is pausing its activities on Twitter after it was labeled as government-funded media, so in the Twitter profile right underneath CBC, it says government-funded media, and that erupted after Conservative leader Pierre Poilievre said on Twitter last week that he had written to Twitter boss Elon Musk to say, "Hey, the CBC's label is inaccurate. It must be labeled accurately." So the CBC or the Twitter said, "You know what, Mr. Poilievre, you're right." We're going we're gonna to put government-funded media in the profile of the CBC. And so the CBC said, you know what, we're just, we'll just pause our Twitter activity. So last night, Twitter adjusted the label to 70% government-funded after one user noted that the CBC received 70% of its funding from the federal government. And a short time later, Elon Musk tweeted that he tweaked the figure to 69%. Now, this move comes as... Attitudes towards many established news organizations especially from conservative politicians have hardened in the past decade. Now they really coined the phrase fake news, and accusations of fake news have become a common political refrain. Let's uh, let's dig into this topic with Kim Wright, founder and principal of Wright Strategies who joins us now on GMH. Kim, good morning. How are you?
5: I'm fantastic. How are you?
0: I'm good. Uh, this is a juicy topic. What do you make of Mr. Polyev's move with Twitter and his call to defund the CBC.
5: Well, all of these make Pierre Polyev's Conservative Party a lot of money. This is red meat for the for his political base, who, you know, think that their their fearless leader gets treated unfairly by the CBC and others. And every time the conservatives put out a fundraising letter or something like this that attacks the CBC, they make gobsmacking amounts of money from their donors. So the heart of this is, is fundamentally that the cbc response however has has certainly continued to keep this story going and rick you you might have remembered the phrase uh where we used to try to say don't Pick a fight with the media because you don't pick a fight with those who buy ink by the barrel. The flip side of that is that the, the the CBC is now picking a fight with with uh, with Twitter, which basically owns not only the uh, the ink but all the barrel makers in this situation. So I'm not sure that this is going to end well for the CBC, but you know it's going to get. Their, uh, their funders also, uh, are also excited and probably get some fundraising money for them, too.
0: Many people have pointed out that Polyev has been government-funded since 2004, so there's that as well.
5: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> are we going to start putting on every politician's site, uh, you know, taxpayer-funded yeah. uh, since whenever? Uh, you know, all of this gets to be silly and cheeky and, and all of this... Uh, frankly, noise, as I said, helps Pierre Polyev raise a lot of money, it doesn't get to the point of what kind of content do you want to start putting on social media? How do you engage people where they're at? Uh, if you're going to get into a battle with Twitter trolls, well, frankly, Elon Musk is Twitter troll-in-chief. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a bit uh, challenging for the CBC to, to come out of this unscathed. However... Ah, uh, it is an opportunity for them to re look at their at their platform, how they use it, and and potentially retool this. I suspect they will they will come back on the platform at some point. Certainly, their reporters are staying on because there is some value to that and that engagement., uh, but this is an old-fashioned raise a lot of money Twitter battle, and Pierre Poly does that better than most
0: do you want to clarify for our listeners as well cbc and radio canada are not government funded they are publicly funded through a parliamentary appropriation that's voted on by all members of parliament so just that clarification for our listeners i want to ask you about this is the you know Pierre paulia is very anti-establishment is that appealing to voters in canada
5: it's appealing to his voter base, and frankly, Pierre Polyev has not yet uh, stopped. Frankly, fighting his uh, leadership battle into figuring out how to move uh, his his micro targeted voter base. Into a general population voter base that gets him winning in a general election, that has not come on stream yet, and I'm not sure he believes he needs to. Uh, but if you look at the electoral math, he wants to court over the next uh, few uh, couple of years before we go into the next federal election, he's going to have to start coming out from behind his shadows and conspiracy theories uh, to get uh, to get into a place where people see him as as a prime minister and wait. And they're not there yet. We saw last week him posting again on Twitter. Um, a, a letter to uh, former Governor-General David Johnston uh, on his parliamentary website that said, Dear Rapporteur, and it basically looked like a third-grade assignment, but uh, without... It, it, again, these are things that feel like inside baseball, seem like Pierre Polyev taking shots at establishment uh, and, and speak in truth to power, quote-unquote, um, but it, it really is unbecoming of somebody who wants to be Prime Minister of Canada and so that's the switch his team is ultimately going to have to make when they make that switch he's starting to run out of runway on that
0: uh, last one for me. We got about a minute. Conservative uh, Alberta Premier Daniel Smith recently announced that she's going to limit reporters to just one question and no more follow-ups. And with an you know an election on the way, that seems to be an attempt to avoid you know too much scrutiny. Doug Ford kind of did that as well, but more so not letting many of his candidates speak in the last provincial election. It worked for him. Does this work in general for political parties?
5: Yeah, you know, picking about, again, picking a battle with the media it is wrong. It is wrong for democracy. It's wrong for accountability. Um, but politicians see this as a way of controlling their media message. Uh, and, you know, riling up their own political base to believe, well, the media is just out to get me anyway. The reality is that the media isn't out to get these politicians. They're actually out to find some accountability and dig deeper into some of the platitudes that politicians like to use on the campaign trail. So not allowing for follow-up questions is a, well, you said something that is is not quite right or not quite accurate or so so much of a talking point. We want to dig into that from a reporter standpoint, because that's how voters understand more about the candidate and their perspectives. Not allowing that to happen is, as I said, a way to control the media message, a way to get away from some of the gaffes that Premier Daniel Smith is quite prone to do. Um but it's not good for democracy. It's not good for voter engagement. It's also probably why we see, one of many reasons why we see a lack of voter turnout, because it doesn't seem as engaged. It doesn't seem as as real to voters. So I think this is one of those pieces, Rick, that is part of why we continue to see a decline in voter engagement.
0: 100% agree. Thank you, Kim, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.
5: Thank you, you too. Have a great day.
0: You too. Kim Wrights, founder and principal, Wright Strategies, joining us here on GMH.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Well, you've been following this story, I'm sure, because it could potentially impact you in a very significant way. And that is a pending strike by the Public Service Alliance of Candidates. It's this country's largest federal public sector union. And while well, that union has imposed a 9 p.m. deadline tonight, to reach a tentative contract agreement with the federal government. And if that does not occur, we could see tens of thousands of workers, including 35,000 with the CRA, on strike tomorrow. Main issues are wages, of course, and provisions for remote work. Uh, Here to talk about this and and the impact that it's going to have on, well, not only you and I, but many businesses in this country, Jasmine Gannett is the Vice President of National Affairs at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Jasmine, good morning. How are you today? Uh, Good morning. I'm very good. Thank you. The clock in this case is ticking very loudly. And given that we're in the middle of tax season, the timing of this strike is going to be huge for many businesses who are going to be impacted by this.
6: Yes, uh, you're right. The clock is uh, ticking. uh, ticking. Uh, It's quite worrisome for many small businesses. Uh, CRA is the federal agency that small businesses deal the most with. Uh, Many businesses have questions uh, for CRA quite regularly. They have to remit their taxes. Uh, So businesses need to have CRA uh, services available uh, and with a potential strike starting tomorrow, uh, many businesses are worried that they would not get the answer that uh, they need if they have to reach out to a CRA uh, agent. It's already quite difficult to talk to an agent. Uh, we have surveyed our member recently, and uh, 53% of business owners had to call multiple times before connecting with an agent. And that uh, was when uh, there was no uh, strike. Uh, So we can just imagine what the situation will be if a strike is uh,
0: triggered uh, tomorrow. The uh, Canadian Federation of Independent Business has called for an extension of um, negotiations of the tax deadline. Where does that stand right now?
6: Um, We have not heard back from CRA on this, and we will continue to push them to make sure that Uh, Full service is maintained uh, if uh, a strike is triggered. We're going to keep pushing CRA to uh, make sure that they uh, communicate clearly to small business owners their responsibility in the context of a strike and also to delay tax uh, deadlines so that businesses are not penalized uh, uh, because uh, of any work stoppage. And so we're going to continue to push Uh, really hard so that uh, businesses are not impacted by this potential strike. Um, uh, And, uh, you know, it's also important that the negotiation for a new collective bargaining agreement continues. Uh, You know, you've mentioned early on that the uh, union is looking for a pay increase. Uh, That increase would represent 33% uh, of a wage increase co- costing, uh, you know, close to a billion dollars. So we want to make sure that uh, government um, provide an increase that uh, taxpayer can afford.
0: Jasmine, well, we only have about a minute. Uh, the the extent, potential extension of a tax deadline, right now it's May 1st. Uh, would you like to see that extended by a month? Is that enough time to potentially hammer out a deal?
6: I don't know for as long as the strike will continue, and for as long as uh, we can uh, see a backlog because of the strike. I don't think the goal is to have a firm dead uh, a firm deadline or a firm date, uh, but uh, it's important to make sure that businesses are not penalized do not have to pay interest or any other sorts of uh, penalties because of the strike. So it could be May 1st, it could be any other date that would be uh, uh, most uh, appropriate. And we're also calling government to consider a back-to-work legislation if uh, negotiations uh, fail Uh, We cannot afford to have CRA employees and other uh, public servants uh, being
0: on strike for too long. Jasmine, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Jasmine Gannett is a vice president of national affairs at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Have you ever been fired? From a job, do you remember how it went? You probably do, especially the first time. The first time is the worst time, right? You're starting out a career, or you're in the middle of the career, or you're at the tail end of your career, and you're you're no longer needed. Well, the pandemic apparently has given rise to a whole new and, in some cases, very disturbing way that companies turf their employees. Jack Kelly is a senior contributor at Forbes, CEO of WeCruder.io, and the Compliance Search Group, and co-host of the Blind Ambition podcast, and joins us now on GMH. Jack, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. You got uh, an article online at WeCruder.io, the best of the worst ways to manage layoffs. What prompted you to write about this? Is there, has there been an increase in badly executed layoffs? Oh, my goodness.
7: If, if you don't mind, I could rant a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, go okay. no, ahead. The flow is yours. <laughs> because, you know, it's it's terrible. What What's happened in, let's say, the tech sector alone, almost uh, probably more than 170,000 tech employees have been let go just in this year. And we're only in the second quarter. And the manner in which they've let go people is just horrendous. Uh, via email, uh, not in, nothing in person, very cold, no empathy no compassion whatsoever and places like google which is really surprising because you know they're pretty smart people over there you have folks who were there for 20 years just let go via email no conversation no reasons why just hey thanks goodbye take care are are there any rules against that not really that's my knowledge it's you know there there's Rules such as, like, if you're going to let go X amount of people, you have to let people know in advance. But there's nothing to say, hey, if we let you go via email, if we just send uh, a text, um, and uh, that's okay. It's, it's really kind of cold and clinical.
0: The, the toughest question to always answer is the why. Why is this now happening? Is it just the fact of where we are, what we've been through, and this is the, the
7: quickest way to do the deed? You know, a couple of things. One might be because there's so many people who are working either remotely or hybrid, so they're not in the office. So you can't have that old-fashioned come into the office, speak to HR, have a, a conversation, uncomfortable conversation of why we're letting you go, Jack. Sorry, here's the reasons, have an exit interview. Now, is that, you know, person's still not going to be happy they lost their job, but at least they'll understand the reasons why they lost the job. They'll have maybe... The HR person will offer recruiting assistance, career coaching, resume assistance, uh, outside placement services, but perhaps one of the reasons to give the benefit to the companies is that when people are remote, you can't really do that as much on scale. Uh, On the other side of the equation, you would think with these large organizations, and there's been so many layoffs, that they would... Be adept at it. They would have kind of triage and say, okay, we're going to let go 10,000 people. It seems like a whole lot, obviously. So let's get as many HR people involved, as many managers involved, as many directors involved, and and really give white glove service to the people who gave their their work lives to you. Um, it's, really, it's really a sad commentary on our society right now where you could just take people who worked at a place for 5, 10, 20 years and just dispose of them without really – Caring. The article is
0: called The Best of the Worst Ways to Manage Layoffs. You can find it online at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-T-R.io. And we're in discussion with Jack Kelly, a senior contributor at Forbes, CEO of WeCruiter.io and the Compliance Search Group and co-host of the Blind Ambition podcast. Is,
7: is the care factor gone from, from an employer standpoint? It feels that way. It definitely feels that way. And I think what happened on the other side, too, is there's a loss of faith by workers when they see themselves, their family members, friends, discarded, dispatched without any sensitivity. It it makes them feel like, wait, why am I going to invest so much time and effort in this company or the next company? And I think it sets a really poor standard because Enough people are aware now that these layoffs are taking place and they're very and and they're somewhat inhumane. Why would you work harder at a place? It's gonna have, I think, the reverse effect on employees. Rather than getting them engaged and motivated and really get involved with the company, they're just gonna say, Hey, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do because eventually I might get laid off. So why kill myself? And I'll just do the job and and that's it. Which is not, and that in a way that's not even good for the r- worker either, because then they're not going to advance in their career. So it just creates this really toxic, weird culture that we haven't had before.
0: Certainly is a sad reality. Jack, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Jack Kelly, senior contributor at Forbes, CEO of WeCruiter.io and the Compliance Search Group and co-host of the Blind Ambition podcast. Check it out wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Allen Cup Senior Men's Hockey Championship began last night after the First two games were held in Dundas. We had a couple of games. Innisfail beat the Real McCoys 2-0. Clarenville topped the Hamilton Steelers 4-3. Some exciting action at J.L. Greitmeyer Arena. And the action does not stop. Two more games today, including a biggie tonight between Hamilton and Dundas. Puck drops at 7.30. Get your tickets online. DundasRealMcCoys.ca. Joining us now is the owner of the Real McCoys, Don Robertson. Don, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton.
2: Good morning, Rick. How are you?
0: I'm good. A couple of games yesterday. How did it go?
2: Oh, well, not well locally. Uh, (laughs) You just pointed out and pointed out on your forecast, but it was a great day. Um, I watched part of the early game Newfoundland come in, and they are as expected. They're young. They work hard. They hit. Um, Hamilton had the lead uh, early, and uh, it was a great game. I mean, hamilton battled hard and it, it always astonishes me because this is about i think the ninth maybe the 10th allen cup tournament i've been at and uh, participated in and the balance from across canada is astonishing like we don't play each other all year and Claringville comes in and nobody knows what to expect steelers don't know what to expect Clanville don't know four three ball game and then at night we played what i thought expected to be a very strong in this field team and they get an empty netter with less than a minute to go i mean both goalies were a um, uh, player of the game which give you some idea of the action there was more hits in our game last night than there were in five games in the regular season that'll point out the intensity of this whole thing i mean we're playing for the world's oldest national hockey championship and, boy, you can tell every stride, every second out there. There isn't a spare inch anywhere to go. Guys are hammering each other. I mean, we hit uh, uh, Mackenzie Wood hit three goalposts last night. I mean, if they go the other way, it's a different outcome. That's how tight it is. And uh, today will be an interesting afternoon game with the Innisfil Eagles playing the Clarenville, Clarenville Caribou at 3.30. And then we will play the Hamilton Steelers at 7.30 tonight.
7: Uh, as
0: you mentioned, the Allen cup, it's been going around since 1908, 1909, uh, steeped in history. Uh, Dundas, I think last hosted in 2014. What did you learn from that tournament? Just about senior men's hockey and the popularity of it and, and the competitiveness
2: of it. Well, the competitive, I mean, it wasn't new Rick, but we, we beat the in double overtime in 2014 to win the Allen cup. And, uh, you know the building was sold out. It was great. Uh, a couple, you know, pretty good crowds uh, yesterday. I mean, it's early in the tournament, and, and that will build. But it just the significance of it and the competitiveness of it, and uh, it, you know, it's it's a challenge for the greatest uh, volunteer executive group on the planet, being the Dundas Real McCoy's group. And because uh, we're running two games a day, and a lot of our people that are helping us aren't kids, including me. So it's a long day, but you know, we've, uh, hats off to those people. I mean, without them, this just does not happen. I mean, we have hosts with Alberta and Newfoundland. We've got uh, bus scheduling and so on. It, it, uh, went off seemingly went off without a hitch other than, uh, the two local teams would have been a little better if we'd have both won. But tonight's game is very significant with the Steelers because the team, uh, the last place team in the round Robin is out and, uh, the top place team get a buy right to the final on Saturday afternoon at 3.30. So tonight's game is uh, huge, as is our game, uh, and their game Wednesday and our game Thursday. We're off Wednesday. Of course, we're off the night. Beliefs don't play.
0: That's what <laughs> to be, but. Yeah. Tonight's game uh, yeah. Uh, seven 7.30 at JL Gruntmeyer Arena. It's Dundas and Hamilton. We're in discussion with uh, Dundas Real McCoys owner Don Robertson and a uh, massive local hockey supporter for, for eons. Uh, by the way, you can get tickets to the Allen Cup online at dundasrealmccoys.ca. D- does this tournament Actually, Go ahead, you were going
2: to. Let me yeah, let me fix that. Uh you can't get tickets online now, you can only get them at the door. But oh, okay. You can take cash and, and debit. So I'm sorry. Yes, we're only now now that the event started, you can only buy them at the door, but you can buy them anytime and any tickets uh at 2:30 and still buy packages at the end of the first period. Okay. Sorry. Okay.
0: Good to know. Uh, last minute, last minute to play here in the period. Uh how does this tournament bring Dundas and Hamilton together?
2: Well, it won't tonight. <laughs>
0: no, it will not tonight.
2: <laughs> I, look, I'm a pretty big supporter of Hamilton as a city, but uh, I, I'm not wishing the Steelers a great deal of luck tonight. I mean, this is Dundas, little Dundas against great big Hamilton tonight, and uh, we're hoping that the Valley Town fans come out and support us like they have in the past. But it should be a beauty, it should be a barn burner. Um, you know, both these teams want to advance, and tonight will be a key game. So, yeah, I'm not really cheering for Hamilton uh, today.
0: Well, that's okay. We'll we'll let it slide. Don appreciate the time. Good luck uh, tonight and uh, the rest of the way.
2: Thanks, Regan. Appreciate your interest. Have a good day.
0: You too. Don Robertson is the owner of the Dundas Real McCoys. They take on the Hamilton Steelers tonight, seven thirty. JL Greitmeyer Arena. Tickets, as Don mentioned, at the door.